got a call. They said, a storm has hit. We got a bunch of people come to the hospital. So I knew I needed to get there. Welcome in to Like a Man. I'm your host, Miles Nielsen. This is part two of Executive Leadership with Bill Mahoney. I divided this up into two parts because the second part was so good. This has a lot of stories and a lot of good, rich advice. Let's listen. Bill, could you tell us what it was like and some of the challenges that you faced being a healthcare leader in the heart of the pandemic? I'm not sure you're going to like my answer because it's kind of sad. The beginning, we were kind of the heroes, thank you, when we didn't have the vaccine. As people started getting worn down, there were different theories out there, um, people started getting violent towards us. Um, I spoke at some city meetings about masking, and they had to have a security detail, um, you know, to escort me to my car. Um, I had people at my church sending me videos every day um, telling me that people were lying. I never went on and said, what the CDC or Dr. Fauci or Sarah correct. I only told the people what we were seeing in our local hospital. For example, 97% of the people in my critical care units were not vaccinated. That would be in the middle when there was a vaccine. So therefore we said we believe vaccination is the best thing to do um, there. Um, also my church leaders told us that it was safe and effective. And so I felt very comfortable there. But as, as the pandemics were on, there's been some inconsistencies with the CDC. Um, people have been mean. Um, we, we've um, had people spit in our employees' faces. People break cars, kick our equipment, say inappropriate things to us. So openly, it's been tiring. It's been long. We're coming out of it. But openly, it's been really sad, if I know the truth. I've had friends who've had parents die early on in our hospital, and they're hurt. And there were certain rules we had to put in place so that things didn't spread based on the knowledge that we had. And some of those relationships are, are they're, they're mending, they're getting better, but we all tried to do the best we could. And now you have a workforce that's tired, that's worn down, that just wants to care for people. And having people spit in your face, punch you in the face, 90% of our workforce in healthcare is female, and we have the highest physical abuse rates in the country. I've doubled my security force to protect our staff. The number one question new nurses ask us in orientation, what are you going to do to keep me safe? Really? The pandemic, while we saw a lot of incredible things happen, a lot of people, the communities were very supportive. We've been supported here in Branson very well. But when it's when you start to talk about things like masking or vaccine, it becomes very political. And instead of being able to disagree and disagreeable, People get physical, and, that, and that's sad. You know, I have family members in healthcare, and one of them was telling me the same thing you just said about nurses that they just work so hard, and now they're just to the point where they're just burnt out. They're having a hard time. And you know, the whole mask thing didn't really bother me too much, just because I have lived in Japan before, and when they get sick, they would wear a mask. And the vaccine thing never bothered me as much either because I've called people about it when I was curious about what was going on and those people I thought who were experts on the matter and they gave me some pretty good advice 
But to get to the point where you're being uncivil and you're promoting violence, especially in hospitals, that's where it's going a little bit too far. Well, I think I think the hard part that people don't realize because things can get emotional because I, I'm all right if you don't want a mask. I'm all right if you don't want to get a vaccine because I serve in the United States Marine Corps, so you have that ability to do that in this country. It's called freedom. Um, however, I, I think what we don't think about when that registration clerk or that nurse or that lab tech or that radiology tech comes, they also get COVID. They also have family members get COVID and die. So they're not just trying to take care of you. They're trying to protect their own health and they're trying to deal with their own family members. And that, that was hard. That was a hard balance. But I, I will tell you, the reason that people stay in our field is because they're called. It is the most remarkable thing I've ever seen is to watch people who are tired they're called in and out, especially doctors on call. And they're just, you know, William, I'd get out of this if I wasn't called to it. And that that's neat to see people that dedicated. Because, you know, you can't do four-day work weeks and, and you can't work from home in healthcare. We have to be there for those patients. So we're not going to be able to take advantage of all the new technologies and stuff like that because we're still going to have to be there to do the surgeries and to you know, take the uh, lab, the blood out of your arm and stuff like that for lab tests. So we're not going to get those advantages. We're still going to be the the old school, you know, come to work four or five, six days a week. But again, people feel called to healthcare, And I tell you, I feel very called to what I'm doing. That kind of reminds me of people in education where they're doing it for their calling. They're sacrificing the money that they could have made. They're sacrificing a whole bunch of other things, and they're just staying with it. And something else to consider about the pandemic is, how many other times in the history of the world has there been a major global pandemic? The 1918 Spanish flu is probably the last time. And so we've learned a lot out of it, we've come out of it, and here we are today. I mean, a lot of people have moved on, we've learned from it, and hopefully we can be better coming out of it. On the other hand... A lot of it comes from the top. We were talking earlier about culture, and a lot of this attitude will come from the top. Our leaders need to show the way, and we need to be willing to be more civil about everything. And you're right, and I think think what people don't realize, when you're not setting the tone or hopeful or positive, and you're creating environments or conspiracy theories, there are people out there that this creates a lot of anxiety for them. And, and is and very frustrating to them. And they act out. And, and that's sad because some of them, you know, they're needing help. And when they, you know, leaders, if, if you're scaring people and you're making people fearful, people do react to that. They do. And back to our point earlier, you got to express hope as a leader. And if you're not, people are going to get anxiety and they're going to get scared. Yeah, that, that's very true. You, we see it every day. Since the pandemic and our ER, your ER and your community is your community's thermometer. We're seeing more people addicted, mental health issues. And so um, those are the top two that we're seeing. Really? Post-pandemic, yeah. I've heard about the anxiety going up, but I haven't heard about the drug use and overdoses going up. Yeah, we, we've seen a lot of the fentanyl come across the border and things of that nature. Um, people are turning to alternative substances uh, to help them cope with with the uh, travails of life. It's so much to the point that even the social workers and mental health workers we have are burning out from trying to take care of all these needs. Look at school teachers. They're not just teaching anymore. They're trying to make sure the kids get fed. They're trying to make sure 
you know, there these other needs being met. Um, there, there's a lot of stress on teachers if you look around, um, especially during COVID when they were asked to do these things online. Yes, bless their hearts. We went through that, and I don't know if they even offered training on how to teach five-year-olds via Zoom or Teams during the middle of a pandemic. The teachers did a great job, I think, generally speaking, trying to help our kids. Yes, they did. We're going to change gears here, and we're going to hop into something that's kind of related to the pandemic because it threw everybody off during the pandemic, but it's developing good habits. And as an executive leader, what have you done to develop good habits? You know, I've, I've had to learn this a little bit later in life, but I, I do this in the morning. I wake up in the morning, I go take an hour walk, I read my scriptures, I listen to a talk from one of my church leaders, and then I take, you know, I don't, when I drive back from where I'm walking, I 15 minutes of silence. And um, I, had a, I had a life coach once tell me this, but I thought it was very powerful. They said, the problem we all have right now is we don't have enough silence. Silence gets rid of the noise in our life and gets us to our authentic state. And in our authentic state, we make our best decisions. To me, I think in your authentic state, you can be inspired by the Holy Ghost. I think in your authentic state, you know what's right. But when we got all the noise going on in our life, you know, bills to pay, uh, things to do, work in this. It's so hard in there. Um, so we have to get to a point of the cell phones are on, the radio is not on. We have to have time each day for silence. I think another one that's big to me is there's a saying that I think is huge, and it's comparison is the thief of joy. I can't think how many times in my life, wow, I wish I had a home on the lake. Wow, I wish I could go do this. We do not understand everyone's circumstances. Um, you're on this earth, in my mind, at this time for certain reasons. And whatever your lot in life is, you know, uh, granted, you know, do your best and good things will happen. Yeah, I always say you cannot work, the, you cannot bless the Lord. If you work hard, good things happen in your life. Now, you've got to make decent decisions. They don't have to be perfect, but you have to make decisions. So I think establishing those good habits in the morning, being kind to your fellow man, uh, working hard, uh, being obedient to rules and commandments. And, and you, you just put yourself in a position to be successful and try to be more purposeful. In other words, my purpose is this, but I'll tell you one thing that I have learned, and I would say this was a huge learning lesson to me. The world will change in 10 to 20 years. In my 20s and 30s, I would have never guessed how things are today, but so will you. And so if you sit down and write, these are my goals, and you want them to be exact, you're black and white, you're anal, it's going to be very hard because the world does not follow your plans and life does not follow your plans. And so be mindful that there are people brighter than you are. And they aren't always in books from the New York uh, top 100. I like that. I like that you call it your authentic self. And I also have a similar habit that I learned while living in Japan from my leader who is there. And I actually call it my morning devotional where I just take that time to be quiet and to ponder and pray and read my scriptures and do all these things to get ready for the day. And it's been a tremendous habit for me that I've always had. And I appreciate that you call it that, your authentic self. I've done different podcasts. I've spoke to a lot of groups. I get asked, especially by college students, are uh, 
young mid careers. I have a question for you. You've been on a lot of national boards. You ran, you know, different hospitals, done turnarounds. What, where, where do you, where do you get the ideas? Where do you know, how do you do it? And I have to really give the credit to this. I will listen to my chapter of scripture. I'll listen to a talk by one of my church leaders and I'll have my authentic time, if you will, the quiet time. And something will pop in my head when I'm thinking about a problem later in the day. And it comes from something that I had in that morning in my, in my devotional time, if you will. And that has been so awesome. And another thing that, I, that I've, one good habit that I've had, and I haven't always been a great exerciser, but since 1986, so that's what, 37 years, I have written in my journal once every three weeks, maybe once every two weeks on a Sunday. That is the cheapest psychiatrist in the world. And I will tell you, journaling has helped me get things out and helped me go back and read and say, yes, when I did this, this happened. And um, so that early morning good habits, that journaling and just trying to be good to my fellow man has been a blessing. And I've been I've been blessed uh, more than I deserve. I really have. Well, and not only that, but you sound very uplifting and positive. You've been helping your community. You led your hospital during the middle of a pandemic and you've again helped your community quite a bit and i really admire you for that you know we had a situation here i'll tell you a quick story that changed my life about five years ago i was leaving work here in branson missouri we have lakes by us and a beautiful lakes beautiful lakes the great community and i um got a i went to a movie with my family and for some reason i said let's bring two cars which we never do but there was like six or seven of us Went to movie and my phone started beeping and I thought, okay. And I looked and there was two texts and about a minute later, a couple more texts went out in the lobby and got a call. They said a storm has hit. We got a bunch of people come to the hospital. So I knew I needed to get there. So I came to the hospital, not knowing exactly what had happened got there and they were trying to get ready. There's these duck boats in Branson. They're boats that drive on, on the uh, streets and they can go in the water. What had happened is a fluke storm had hit and tipped them over. And we had um, nine or 10 people come into the hospital who had been underwater for quite a bit. And we had a lady, I'll call her Tia, because that's her name. And it's it's a public story, so I can talk about it. She lost nine of her family members um, in this storm. And uh, I went there. I tried to calm her down. I mean, I'm not medically trained. I was there just to support everything. Got some warm blankets say a prayer with everybody, which is really, it's what you do in Branson. We pray a lot. And uh, she couldn't get over her family because she didn't have her cell phone. She goes, I don't know their number, which I don't know half people's numbers. Any, they're all on my cell phone. And she had a little nine-year-old nephew out there who had lost his um, parents. And uh, he kept saying to me, my little brother floated by me and I couldn't save him. And I just gave this kid a hug. And uh, all night we were up with them and we had some more people come in and the duck boat captain came in, so we had to keep him separate from um, these family members who had lost family members, which they didn't know at that time. Went home for a couple hours, about five in the morning. Then about eight in the morning, this light was coming. We found out what happened to these people. And this lady, Tia, she lost nine of her family members. She had her little nephew, the nine, 10 year old boy. And they had family coming from different states. I had a, a young girl who told me, my brother didn't make it. I knew he couldn't swim like me. Uh, I had another one, her grandma had, died trying to push her up on another boat to save her and two, it was two or three nights we had national news everywhere it was a big big story the duck boat tragedy story our community came alive supported these people 
Um, our governor came and he had a great opportunity for a photo op. These little kids who were saved. And but Governor Parsons says, I'm not doing that. That's not the right thing to do. I saw humanity on an incredible level. People didn't care about political correctness. They didn't care about getting a photo op so they would look good for the next election. And that's when I was able to see my calling more 3D than I ever had. And about a year ago, Tia came back to the community and asked if she could have a few minutes with me, myself and two nurses, not just me. She came in, we gave her a big hug. She told me she was going to counseling and everything. You know, she's doing what God wants. She told me she's going to adopt a kid. And I thought that was just great for her. And she said to me, I want to let you know something. You'll always be in my heart because that night you were there and your team was there when there was nobody left in my family. And that's something that I will never forget the rest of my life. I don't know what it would be like to lose all your children, your husband, your in-laws. It, and just to see her grace and her forgiveness um, was incredible to me. And see a community come and rally behind these people who were visitors here. They weren't from here. All these people whose families were here, they came to support them. And that's what I love about living in a community like Branson, Missouri. It's so rejuvenating and wholesome. But to see people come for their fellow man and help them was incredible. And uh, we had the good there. And then the pandemic came after that and made things a little bit rougher. But, you know, in my job, we're the social safety net, if you will, the, the for those as sick, addicted, and afflicted. And uh, this was one time I, I got to see things in an incredible light. And what a blessing it was to be part of a really tragic experience. I remember reading specifically about that tragedy, and I can't believe that you were in the heart of it. And to your point, too, on the people out here in the heartland, Midwest, South, I am so impressed with these people. There's good people everywhere, but there is especially good people here. It's inspiring. Well, Bill, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time, and I hope you keep down this path of leadership and serving and helping your community. Well, that's the goal. I appreciate your time, Miles, and uh, hope you can keep spreading the word like a man. Men, go out there and be your authentic self and face hard challenges like a man. That's what I got from this recording. I'm grateful Bill came onto the show and I hope he comes back. We are going to end this one with the manly sound of a lion. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.